This week on Morbidly Intoxicated, we talk about the case of Rose Larner. Hey, you want to grab a drink? Hi, Sierra. <laughs> How are you doing? Sad. <laughs> I want to hug my cat. Because <laughs> of the last one? Last two? Oh my gosh, they were terrible. Well, I have good news for you. No, you don't. This one's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> We've run a true crime podcast, Lily. You're not supposed to be happy about it. I just... We have never recorded this many episodes in a day. Like, I think our max has been, like, one or two. Yeah, we're gonna need a good palate cleanser. Okay, let's get into it. For, um, understanding purposes, Rose and her mother have the same name. They're both named Rose. Okay. So, most of the story, I'm just gonna refer to her as either Miss Marquis or Rose's mother. Can you call one of them Tulip or something? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you for that. <laughs> you. So, Rose Larner was described as, quote, a headache and a half by her mother. She was a hyperactive child who was always getting into trouble with her friends and mouthing off. When she was eight years old, she met Billy Brown while picking a rock fight with some random kids. I don't like this Billy Brown guy already. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, they are picking a rock fight at eight years old. That sounds dangerous. (laughs) Little kids are aggressive. So true. And they think they're invincible. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) Rose loved to talk on the phone for hours at a time with just about anyone whose number she could get. The Lansing State Journal quotes her mother saying, Anytime you picked up the phone downstairs, it was warm from her ear. No. Most of Rose's conversations were with Billy Brown, who became her best friend in fifth grade when they shared a homeroom class. Rose drew a heart around Billy's picture in her yearbook, and it said he felt the same way about her. Ooh. By eighth grade, Billy and Rose were inseparable. Rose also had a best friend named Ginger Bailey. They met when Rose picked a fight with her for a reason she can't remember, and then later asked her to come over to play hide-and-seek. Ginger said, quote, We were inseparable. We liked to ride the bus to the mall. We got in a fight a week, but we were still best friends. Rose would always call and make up. I love that name, Ginger Bailey. I know, it's so cute. cute. Uh, Rose and Ginger even shared a birthday, which was August 19th. This story sounds, like, fantastic so far. It's pretty good. But also not. (laughs) Why, Why can't... And any of our stories just sound nice in the beginning and then end nice. Right. When Rose was 15, she threatened a girl who made her mad with a fork. Oh. One night, while her mom was out of town, Rose partied and drank with her friends and then got into a fight with one of the girls who showed up. Was she... Is she 15? Mm-hmm. This... Uh, what? <sighs> I'm just... I'm just giving you a backstory. I know this story took, like, a weird turn, though. Yeah. Go I on. just want to show you that she... I know there was a weird break there. No, no, no. It just... No, I'm, I'm saying, like... It's all nice and happy, and, and then it's like, like oh, bad bitch. <laughs> and then she's doing drugs and drinking and <laughs> threatening people with forks. When Rose's mother found out, she thought counseling might help Rose's behavior. She exaggerated on her personality in order to admit her to Rivendell Psychiatric Hospital, St. John's. While at Rivendell, Rose used a pencil eraser to brand the letter B into her thigh to honor a patient she had developed a crush on. But how did you do that with an eraser? Like, she... Like, set the racer on fire and then, like, burnt it. So she just had all these little, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to give you some backstory. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> go, go ahead. Um, despite her still erratic behavior, Rose made a group of friends she grew close to at Rivendell. 
Her mother said Rose cried when she left after three months. Quote, they liked her and she felt safe there. Once Rose was back home, she started her first job at KFC. Rose continued to act out and was caught shoplifting and bringing alcohol to school. Her mother was convinced she was trying to get sent back to Rivendell. Rose, Rose. <laughs> Chill, <Whoa>. girl. <laughs> Rose always dreamt of becoming a cop, just like her uncle Timmy, but the trouble that followed her put a strain on that dream. Um, um, so she's partying and getting in trouble with shoplifting. She's like, but I want to be a cop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold on, Rose. Something <laughs> doesn't add up there. Sister. I know right now it sounds like victim blaming if you know the whole story. You're like, oh, um, but I hope sorry. it won't sound like that in the end. I've never heard this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. One day her and Ginger were playing basketball in the park mm-hmm. where, where they noticed a man watching them. Eventually he approached them and began talking to Rose After a while, Ginger decided to walk home because she was bored with the conversation. Later, Rose turned up at her front door, disheveled and crying, saying that the man had raped her. The man was caught and pled guilty to a lesser crime, spending only one month in jail. Shut the fuck up. So at this point, she was like 18? No, she was still uh, like 15 or 16 at this time. Oh, seriously? Oh, she didn't spend that long. Maybe like she spent like three months at the psychiatric okay so she's probably 16 maybe close to 17 and he only got a a month month. what a fucking douchebag rose dropped out of high school in 1991 and signed up for the u.s army hoping it would help her chances of getting onto the police force however the u.s army rejected her stating quote her stay at rivendell and the eraser branded b made her undesirable oh i know she's obviously trying to get her life together though right why are you gonna falter for that seriously Okay, she's she's turning it around. So in 1993, Rose got her GED just in time for her friends to graduate as well. Hmm. The summer after graduation, Rose met a young rapper named John Ortiz Kehoe. He was a friend of Billy Brown and his brothers, and he took an interest in Rose. Okay. Soon they began dating. Rose liked his charisma, and her older brother Bill said, quote, she was into him. She talked about him like he was a god. A month or so later, Rose asked her mother if John could move in with them, saying he needed a place to stay. After a lot of convincing, Rose's mother agreed. But shortly after, Rose's mother found guns of John's in the house and large piles of money, which she believed was due to selling drugs, and kicked him out. After this, John started pushing away from Rose, and they eventually broke up. That probably is for the best. A detective was later quoted saying that the breakup infuriated Rose. He said... She spent her life for a couple of months trying to monitor him, and he was dodging her. The detective also said there was evidence that John threatened to kill Rose if she didn't leave him alone, but she didn't stop. In late November or early December of 1993, Rose and John had a massive fight at a house party. This led Rose to run her van into the side of his brother's truck. Billy Brown ended up escorting her home. Holy shit. So she got pissed and (laughs) rammed her van. Rose is mad. A few days later, on December 6th, 1993, Rose worked a late shift at her new pizzeria job she'd just gotten a few months earlier. Her brother Jamie was on the couch resting when she came home and walked into the kitchen to make a phone call. He says, quote, I remember hearing her get loud, kind of like a half yell, a small argument. I don't know what it was about. He had no clue who his sister was talking to either. Rose told her brother that she loved him and walked out the door. She walked a quarter mile to the Quality Dairy Convenience Store where her mother worked and checked in with her, letting her know what her plans were. Her mom said that the van was low on oil and she didn't want her driving it, and Rose said that she would walk. But seeing how cold it was outside, her mother changed her mind and insisted she'd put oil in the van so she could take it. Quote, I didn't want her walking, I just had a mother's feeling that this was one of those nights. 
Rose assured her it was fine. They exchanged I love yous, and she walked out the door. The next morning, Miss Marquis stopped by her house and went straight to Rose's room, but she wasn't there. However, she had to get on to her next job, so she left the house, stopping by the convenience store to tell them to keep an eye out for Rosie. So she had two jobs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, she worked like a 65-hour work week. Oh, wow. Yeah, between two jobs. It's crazy. Yeah. Roughly 24 hours later, on December 8th, Rose was still missing, so her mother called her father. He began looking up and down streets and even in ditches. Miss Marquis called Rose's work to ask if they'd seen her, but they said she'd missed her most recent shift and hadn't called either. She then called the Browns' house and talked to Billy's mom, who said that she'd check with Billy and call her back. The next day, Billy's mom called Miss Marquis back and said that Billy wasn't with Rose. Rose's mom informed her that Rose was still missing, and she responded, Oh my god, someone must have gotten her. That's suspicious. What kind of response is that? That's weird. Like, someone's missing for two days, and you're like, someone must have got her. Like, I mean... Case closed. Right. I'm like... What? What? Yeah. Why would she respond like that? No, I think that's weird. Yeah, I think it's weird too. Miss Marquis and her son Jamie went to the Lansing Police Department and reported Rose missing and then began searching Benjamin Davis Park. Rose's mom is quoted in the Lansing Journal saying, we realized we were looking for a body. Oh. I know, isn't that heartbreaking? That night, her mom designed a missing persons flyer. She said when she saw her picture, she knew she'd never see Rose again. That's so sad. It, this case, like, almost got me. I was like, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. You're like, it's fine. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. On December 13th, six days from the last time Rose was seen, her mother received a call from Detective John Cotty of Lansing Police. She was afraid he'd think that Rose was just a runaway, but he showed genuine concern. Cotty said, something was terribly wrong. Mothers know, and my gut told me something. Another thing that worried the detective was the lack of phone traffic. He said, quote, you don't make that many calls and then just stop. She would call somebody. Yeah, because she was literally on the phone like, all the time, all the time, hours, every single day. So, yeah, I'm glad that he, like, with all her together. troubled behavior, wasn't like, oh, she probably just ran away with her friends. Like, I she's hate, a troubled kid. I hate the detectives that are lazy like that. And they're like, no, nope. no, she probably just ran away with her friends. She'll be back. Like, are you sure? Even if she ran away with her friends, maybe she's in trouble still. Yeah. Um, the movie Taken. After that phone call, the police launched one of the biggest searches Lansing has ever seen. Nothing turned out during the nearly 50 searches, and weeks went by without any news or a crime scene. Wow. However, Detective Cotty kept hearing the same two names from the tip line he'd set up. Billy Brown and John Kehoe. Cotty had had earlier hunches about the boys, but had no reliable witnesses. He said nobody had first-hand knowledge. They heard it at a party or they heard it from so-and-so. He had interviewed Brown a couple times and had his suspicions. Billy's mother also said that he was with John around the time Rose went missing. I knew I didn't like this Billy guy. <laughs> More searches turned up nothing and hope dwindled as Christmas, which was Rose fa- Rose's favorite holiday, passed. And spring turned up nothing even after all the snow melted. Wow. Yeah, because when she went missing... I just developed a list there. (laughs) Missing. When she went missing, everything was covered in snow and, like, lakes were frozen and stuff. Okay. So it could have possibly been that they they needed to wait for things to melt. Okay. But they still didn't find anything after all the snow melted. Right. In May of 1994, five months since Rose had gone missing, Detective Cotty received a tip that Rose's body had been dumped in a private gravel pit, which was now filled with rainwater. He took a team of divers and a specially trained search dog to explore the waters. R.L. had been sprayed in large letters on a cement drain nearby, 
and a shirt found on the water's edge matched one Rose used to wear. When the search dog alerted to a spot in the water, the team began to hope. But due to the water's muddy conditions and piles of debris that, w- that was thrown into it, it was impossible to search the water. One of the divers said he held a flashlight in front of his face and he couldn't even see the beam. It was that gross. Yeah. It was that yeah. murky. So they weren't even really able to search the waters because they couldn't see anything. Yeah. At that point, did they have, like, the sonar? I couldn't find anything. I wanted to know if they dragged the water, too, but yeah. it, none of the articles would tell me oh, okay. if they did any of that. And there was so much debris in there that I think it would have just been, like, impossible to, yeah. to drag all that out of there. Wow. Detective Cotty began being ridiculed due to his lack of evidence, specifically Rose's body. Billy and John even made a rap song. Of course they did. Hi. Okay. A diss track. The Lansing State Journal quotes Cotty saying, quote, it said Cotty was naughty and it went on to talk about blood and body parts. Just put your confession in a rap song, dude. Right. Bruh. (laughs) Bruh. Like, ooh, Cotty couldn't get us. Literally. What the fuck? So in May of 1995, still with no answers, Detective John Cotty retired. Rose's case was handed off to Detectives Hayward and Hurstman. After they conducted more searches based on tips and still wound up with nothing, they began to start back at the beginning. Another Lansing detective named Donald Brooks learned about the breakup between Rose Larner and John Kehoe. He thought it was interesting that after they broke up, Rose became so obsessed with him, but Kehoe was extremely irritated by her constant attention. Mm-hmm. Then in April 1996, Billy Brown called Detective Brooks saying he wanted to talk. Brown claimed he wasn't Rose's killer, but that he had been a witness to her death and was willing to tell them everything. And with that, let's take a short break. (laughs) Got you good with that one. I know. Pulled a Ryan Seacrest on you. (laughs) And your top two are (laughs) after this commercial break. (laughs) Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing? Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy Happy podcasting! And we're back! So I just want to let you guys know that this next part is really graphic and violent, so I'm just going to put that trigger warning there. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. According to Brown, around 3 a.m. on December 7th, Rose asked him to contact John Kehoe and arrange for the three of them to hang out. Though Brown had been trying to convince Rose to drop her pursuit of John, they all wound up together. The three of them began riding around in John's brother's pickup. Eventually, they pulled off onto a dirt road, and Billy says John and Rose began having sex. Once they finished, they drove to a store near Albion, which is 40 miles south of Lansing. John went inside alone and returned with a heavy bag he placed in the bed of the truck, saying he, quote, bought things for the night's festivities. Brown learned later that the bag was filled with a fillet knife, two bottles of charcoal lighter fluid, a hatchet, and trash bags. That's, like, literally Dexter's shopping list. Yeah, which, um, for my friends out there, that's premeditation. 
Kiho then drove them to his grandparents' home just outside of Albion. His grandparents were in Arizona for the winter, so the house was empty. Ooh, there's snowbirds. Hi, snowbirds. What's up? Come give us your money. Come (laughs) give us your money. Brown claimed he thought they were there to, quote, have sex, get high, do just average party kind of things. So they were both going to have sex? I, nope, I don't even, okay. (laughs) No, I'm stopping myself. That's so gross. We don't kink shame here. I, no, I'm, no, it's not. Never mind. Billy said he even brought a night supply of marijuana and cocaine. Oh, Mm -hmm. party! I guess cocaine is technically a the party drug. Yeah. I don't... What? (laughs) That's what it's called. Yeah, I just... I don't... I can't imagine doing cocaine. No. Not not shame. Just get help, but... (laughs) I've watched somebody do cocaine. Really? Yeah. That sounds like a traumatizing experience to me. My my friend... I'm not going to say names. My friend and I went to one of her classmates' parties... Um, and I had met her classmate, like, once before, and then we went to her house, I was, like, a little tipsy, and we were, like, hanging out in her room, and she just started, like, snorting cocaine, and I was like, right. am I seeing this? And I was like, is anybody else seeing this? Is like, the, am were, I hallucinating? There were a lot of people in her room, I was like, did, what, um, <laughs> she's, like, kneeling on the floor. <laughs> I was like, what is happening here? I'm terrified. I don't I was know like, what I would do in that situation. I looked at my friend and I was like, we're leaving. Yeah, I'm like, go call it Uber, okay? Right. I was like, please take me home. This is, this has gotten bad. This escalated <laughs> Right. I was like, um, bye. <laughs> Not for me. Thanks. Um, okay. That's intense. Yeah. So after this, after they get to the house... Billy claims John and Rose had sex again, and then all three of them stepped into the shower. I'm gonna say something right here. I feel like Billy is leaving out some details. Because, like, (laughs) he hasn't had sex with her at all, but they're all getting in the shower together. Yeah. I don't know. I just have some suspicions. Billy, we have some questions. Got some questions, Billy. While in the shower, John offered Billy a fillet knife that he'd hidden on a shelf, but he refused it, and John hid it again before Rose noticed. So he's literally in the shower... Like, and he was like, you, you want here, you want killer? You want to kill her? You want oh, me to kill her? That's uh, messed up. What the fuck? That's and seriously... she literally didn't see it. Like that's she didn't know. Premeditation. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Was there any ill will towards Rose from John? It was just that she wouldn't stop harassing him about getting back together. They just had sex like a million times, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, not to say that sex does can't be, like, no strings attached, but not if it was someone you know wants to get back together with you. Right. That you already dated. Yeah. Feels a little bit messed up. And then you want her to leave you alone, so you're going to kill her but still have sex with her? Okay. So we all know where their mental state is at. <laughs> Fucked. After the shower, the three got dressed, and as Rose brushed her hair, John approached her from behind and slipped a cord around her neck. At first, Rose thought he was fooling around and laughed, telling him to knock it off. But as John tightened the cord around her neck, she began to panic. Billy Brown says John strangled Rose and then drug her body back into the shower and slit her throat before stopping to do a line of cocaine. Stop. (laughs) I'm going to do that one right (laughs) What is with the cocaine? I, like, I understand the... 
I guess I don't really want to say the culture, but like I, but just being like, hold up, before I finish killing this girl, let me do a line of cocaine real quick. Like you couldn't do that after, maybe before. Or before. I feel like before would have made more sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense at all. But <laughs> no, none of this makes sense. Right. But Did, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. This, all of these like decisions seems like the decisions a crackhead would make. Mm-hmm. Well, he did cocaine. <laughs> Addiction's a disease where it's like, it's in control. Yeah, and it doesn't have to make sense. No, exactly. A lot of things around <laughs> drugs don't make sense, but... Continue. So, Lansing State Journal quotes Billy Brown saying, I told John I could tell this isn't the first time he did this. Uh, he said, what do you think? I vomited and he laughed at me. So he just basically admitted to killing somebody before. Mm-hmm. Was it another ex-girlfriend? <laughs> we don't know. Because he won't admit to like any of it. John, I have some questions. Mm-hmm. Billy continues saying, John rinsed blood off Rose's body and then grabbed a hatchet and a block of wood. He began dismembering Rose's body and Brown left the bathroom. Billy stated he heard whacking noises and saw John hacking at Rose's body. At one point, John came out of the bathroom with a foot on a knife. Stop. And then later holding Rose's head before <gasps> taking her body parts to the basement where he threw them into the fireplace. Okay, I have a problem with that. Because you need, like, a, a crazy high heat to burn a body. We're getting there. Oh, I'm getting there. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, that's the part you have a problem with? Not that he spiked a foot on a knife and was waving it around? I already reacted to that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, like, what? <laughs> this is almost as bad as the severed heads in court. Later in the morning, two of Keo's friends showed up and they all hung out for about an hour. Rose's torso was still in the shower just around the corner. So he took all of her body parts except her torso. Yeah, he took, like, I guess the smaller body parts. Oh. And tried to burn them as much as he could in the fireplace downstairs. I don't also like that you said smaller body I'm sorry. <laughs> I personally have never smelled a burning body, but I don't think that it's a nice aroma from what I've heard. No. So I'm not really sure how the people didn't walk into the house like, what the... <laughs> well, even, like, a decaying body, like... It, it's not a good smell. No, you can you can tell when something's dead. Yeah. Like even burning hair like with a flat iron smells disgusting. So Yeah. I So I'm a little confused. However, I think he did say that they were all doing drugs, so maybe that was part of it. Yeah. I wonder oh, if wow. um snorting drugs like that messes up your sense of smell. Yeah, it does. Oh, it, it like, does. Um deteriorates like the lining of your nose because i know it can make your nostril like bigger yeah that too um that's probably why they probably didn't smell shit cocaine fucks with you guys don't do cocaine cocaine literally changes the chemical makeup of your brain to where your body thinks you cannot survive without it don't do drugs (laughs) well and then you're gonna have to end up taking like prescription drugs anyway to kind of balance Mm -hmm. that chemical back out i'm sorry for triggering anyone i hope we're being nice about it Brown said, after the friends left, quote, we cleaned up the house, put the body in a trash can, grabbed some shovels, 10 gallons of gasoline, some trash bags, and left. The two boys loaded what was left of Rose's body into John's mother's car and drove 100 miles to a piece of land the Browns owned. Once there, they dug a pit, piled wood into the bottom of it, and tossed Rose's body on top, dousing it in gasoline before lighting it on fire. Lansing State Journal reports that her body burnt for 10 hours. What? What? That they were just, like, chilling out there burning her body 
And I'm going to put another graphic content warning here because what I'm about to say is really fucked up and very gross. Forewarning. Go ahead. Billy Brown says, as they stood there watching Rose's torso burn, John Kehoe sliced off a piece of her cooked flesh. Quote, he put it on a piece of bread with some mustard and ate it. Just for the experience. Just to know. End quote. He pulled a Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, isn't that disgusting? First time I heard this case, I was already like, what the fuck? What? 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 And then I heard that and I was like, (laughs) see, well, and that's another thing too. When you eat like another piece of a human, that starts to make you go crazy too. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. No, that's fucked. John Kehoe later denied that part in court. But I don't really know why after all of that, Billy would make that up. I don't understand... (laughs) If John's in all this trouble while he he's trying to, like, dispute this one fact, just, just say you did it. You're already in trouble. Well, see, I thought that at first, too. But oh. if you look at it legally, then he'll get charged with a whole nother crime. Oh. Because cannibalism is a separate charge. Yeah, that's right. So as long as he's only charged for, like, I mean, mutilation of a corpse and first degree murder, that's different. But if you add the cannibalism charge, it's a whole nother thing. But I'm... With both of those charges, you'd figure he'd be put away for life. Yeah. I'm gonna be really mad if he's not. Once the fire burnt out, they gathered her ashes in the trash bags and spread them in multiple locations before driving to Tim Keyhouse house, which was John's brother. There, the two boys worked out their alibis. Um, so since you need a higher degree of heat to burn a body, mm-hmm. was the amount of time that they burnt the body enough to also, like, mm-hmm. disintegrate the bones and everything? Yeah, so it's a, either okay. amount of heat or length time. of burning. And they had, like, 10 gallons of gasoline and a bunch of wood. So I think, oh, if anything, okay. there's maybe some bone fragments. It didn't say, because I was wondering yeah. that, too. But on top of that, they're scattering them in multiple locations. So if you come across a random bone fragment, you're probably like, oh, it's an animal or right. don't even recognize what it is. Cross-examination showed that Tim Kehoe was unaware of the murder. Mm-hmm. After Billy Brown's confession, a nationwide manhunt began for John Kehoe, who was now considered a federal fugitive. While trying to track him down, the police searched the Albion home. Inside the bathroom, they found a single drop of blood that matched Rose. In August of 1996, the police finally managed to track John down. They followed his brother Tim to a bar just outside of the Texas border, where they found John inside and arrested him. Once they had him in custody, Brooks immediately called Rose's mom to tell her that they'd caught him. Lansing State Journal reports that Billy Brown pled guilty to accessory after the fact and was sentenced to one year. Fuck you. One year for letting his childhood best friend be strangled, dismembered, set on fire, and partially cannibalized. No, if you tried to pull that shit, I'd be like, um, nine one one. Let me. One year. How could you live what with yourself garbage? after like witnessing all? Even that? with the guilty plea, and he later testified in court against John. Maybe that's how he got a lower sentence. But that's still outrageous. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Mm. Something that low, especially for accessory. Like, I mean, if you look back to um. Toy box killer, their accessory got like 14 years. Yeah. But that was accessory to murder, not after the fact. So, That's because true. it is after the fact, it's a little different. Like, you um, didn't help kill someone. Yeah. But you stood by as it happened, so. So, a quote from the journal reads, Brown and Rose had spent much of their childhood together, roaming the streets of their South Lansing neighborhood. 
They talked on the phone, went to the same schools, and hung out as teens. Brown was known to be somewhat protective of Rose. And I just thought that that was a nice tidbit to make it even more tragic. <laughs> and he let somebody he fucking murder her. Literally stood there as someone murdered her and then mutilated her corpse. What kind of childhood best friend? <laughs> I'm coming for you, Kelly. <laughs> Better watch your back, people. <laughs> Can't trust anybody. Jesus. Like, I... <sighs> was he also on drugs? I think they were all doing drugs. I mean, he was saying it was just recreational, so it wasn't all the time, but... Do you believe You can't really that? know with cocaine, honestly. It's such an addictive drug. Yeah. Brown later testified against John in court, helping to secure his sentence of life without the possibility of parole. Good. <laughs> Fuck that guy. WWMT.com states that in 2020, Kehoe was granted an appeal hearing by Michigan Court of Appeals, along with an evidentiary hearing in front of the circuit court. John claims his jury was illegally impaneled and that he, in fact, was the accessory and Billy Brown killed Rose because he was enraged that she rejected him for sex. No. John's hearings have been put on hold due to COVID-19 and he currently remains in the Thumb Correctional Facility in Lapeer, Michigan. Good. Far away from me. (laughs) But he will get those hearings. I don't think anything's gonna come of it. I can't believe that he got the appeal. No. For both. No. So he got his appeal hearing and an evidentiary hearing. So they're gonna hear his appeal and then hear, like, the evidence again. He doesn't deserve that. And and no other point did he say, no, Billy was actually the one that killed her and I wasn't part of it. He's saying it now. Yeah. How many so years like, later? Um, That was in 96. When he said that Billy... No. When he was... When he was um, sentenced... Well, when he was caught, I don't know how much longer the trial was oh, after okay. that, but usually in a couple years. It's um, 2020. So that's 25 years. That he's years. been in there and there's no other record of him saying that he was the accessory. No. But now all of a sudden he is, and he's saying that his jury was illegally impaneled. That just makes him look more guilty. Because, like, I, I understand the people who try to remain or keep their innocent plea or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Maintain their innocence. And they, yeah. They maintain their innocence and they keep up with their story and if it is a story or a real fact or whatever, but then to go and switch it and be like, well, actually, I didn't do this, then why the fuck have you been sitting in prison for 25 years? Yeah, years later. Yeah. 25 years. That's a quarter of a century. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, no, no, no. You've had it all wrong. (laughs) Because I couldn't find any other article that said he said that originally. The only thing he... Uh, I found was that he testified that the cannibalism part wasn't true. Well, thank God that he did that. Right. So the rest of it's true then? Right. <laughs> I'm um, a little angry that Billy got one year. I am too. I feel like Billy should have rotten in prison too. Yeah. You stood there and let it happen. Maybe not. And f- then helped dispose of her body. Maybe not for life, but at least, I don't know. 25 30 yeah something some substantial because it's like it's not like you stood by while someone shot someone like you had so many places to step in even if she was already dead maybe like the first or the second time he tried to hand you a knife when yeah the first time he could be like dude what he like rejected you did you think that was gonna be over but didn't try to stop him from strangling her right or dragging her into the shower and even if he didn't do that because he was so shocked, like, you sat there while he dismembered her body. 
That's not an easy task or a quick task. No, and it's... Watched him walk back and forth from the basement. Not a quiet task. No, and then burn her body. And then you helped him move her remains and burn them again. And you stood there for ten hours. I want to hear your excuse for this. Explain yourself. Explain I mean, that's outrageous. Can we write a letter to Billy? Maybe Billy will write us back. He ain't in prison. He got one year. He's been out since like 98. We can find him. We'll find him on Facebook. He should have changed his name. If he didn't, that's dumb. Cindy Hendy, I'm looking at you too. (laughs) I bet she changed her name. Fuck. I would. No way. Yeah, after something like that, especially with it being on your permit record, I would have been like, nope, let's, um, Mm -hmm. let's get this changed. But your record should follow you, you would think, if you changed Um, your name. It kind of depends on, yes, it does. Name changes are kind of hard. I feel like it should. I think it does, but you can only see that at, like, a police level. You can't see that on a normal background check. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because you're trying to keep amenity, so. Right, and sometimes you can appeal to have your record sealed even as an adult. So they'll just seal that charge from your record. Interesting. Mm-hmm. If it's going to, like, put you in danger, but you've already done your time of one year. Billy. Billy. Don't quote me on all of that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. I don't know. The name changes thing is kind of hard, like, whether it falls or not. Yeah, I was. if you change your name, your crim- criminal records do not disappear, but it screws with any background check because the records are not automatically updated. So you wouldn't be able to see it on a basic background check that, like, a job does. Yeah. But if, but if like, you got it. pulled over or had a new, like, arrest out for you. Yeah. Or you got newly arrested, then they would see that when they type in your name. Okay. So if they had, like, a warrant out or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So the like police. On, like, on a federal level. They'd yeah, be so able like, to see it, yeah. So, like, law, law enforcement mm-hmm. can see it. Okay. But on a basic background check, no. Yeah, and that's how they keep the amenity. Well, that is all I've got on that horrible case. And now I'm going to go watch the screening. Uh, Did you ever see the movie Don't Breathe? Yeah. I'm going to go see a screening for the second movie. So I just had all this and then that one. That's with the old man in the basement, right? And he's trying to like breathe. Yes. (sighs) That one fucked me up at the end. He had like all his sperm and shit. I was like, oh, yeah. But people be coming up with weird shit. Look like goddamn mayonnaise in a tube. Ew, so gross. (laughs) No, and then all my, like, the book I'm reading is all, like, mystery and thriller, and I need a break, guys. Yeah, maybe you should watch some Disney Channel or something. We'll watch some Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> a different kind of death. A different kind of death. They don't all die. That's yeah. a lie. Let's never record three episodes in one day again. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. See you guys tomorrow. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at morbidlyintoxicatedpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at morbidlyintoxicatedpodcast. You can find us on Instagram at morbidlyintoxicatedpod. And you can also follow us on our new Twitter page uh, at morbidlyintox, I-N-T-O-X. Thank you to Kelly Carroll for our amazing artwork. You can follow her on Instagram at artbykelly, Kelly spelt with an I. Big shout out to my friend Taylor Hertz, who did our fantastic theme music. You can find him at his website, spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R-H-E-R-T-Z dot com. And thank you to Javi Romero for our awesome photographs. You can follow him on Instagram at orange underscore Javi, spelled J-A-V-I-E. Again, thank you guys so much. Uh, If you'd like to leave us a review, that would be awesome. It would help us out a lot. Go ahead and share this with your friends. And we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye.